1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Shouldn't
3: you be at work?
0: It's a lovely chip. Oh, it's a brilliant goal from Lord Pohiedo. Still, it's not away. Southgate
4: shots. Milosevic scores. To could do with a little bit of magic from him, maybe this is it, it is! Andy Sinton from nothing! Ryan
5: Roy has headed for its interlead!
0: Whelan? Oh, what a goal from Noah Whelan! No power on it whatsoever, but Saiby has made a horrendous error! Now, you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes.
5: Oh, oh and he hasn't! No!
3: Hello and welcome to another episode of Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? It's the fourth series. I'm Chris Skoll. Joining me, Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And some say, God, that Jimmy Fivebellies has lost a bit of weight, hasn't he? It's Michael <laughs> Marden. Hello.
2: <laughs> great, great excitement in the room, this. Gary Neville. I can't quite believe that we've interviewed Gary Neville for what is essentially a niche 90s football podcast.
0: Yeah. Overlooking Old Trafford. Yeah, in, in, a, hotel in, football. in a
2: boardroom of Hotel Football, his hotel, overlooking Old Trafford. And we also, not that anyone cares as much as I do, Eric Cantona was there as well. Oh yeah, we should mention this. That when we were recording uh, some bits and bobs, that not the bit with Gary, but afterwards, uh, we had to stop because we got news that Eric Cantona was in the bar. Yeah. You were so excited, weren't you? I, I dashed down, couldn't find him. We're about to head back up. we got a
0: second phone call saying he was outside, headed outside just to see him close the door on a taxi and drive off into the sunset. Oh.
3: The weird thing about C- Cat is a bit of a supernatural creature, isn't it? So it's, it's weird that it, even that interaction we had with him was supernatural. Like he, yeah. he drifted in and out again and he was such a... ever enigma. An, so an enigma. Of, uh, an enigma. He, he
2: did actually jump over the bar to kick the barman in the face though. <laughs> um, could we also... Uh, Before we go on, thank everyone that came to the live shows at Hackney Empire. They were absolutely uh, two of the most fun nights I've ever had. And particular thanks to Barry Fry and Alan Smudger-Smith for uh, being our guests. When we started this, we had no idea we'd even book a footballer, let alone get barry fry to play the hackney empire so this
3: really has snowballed out of control thank you so much and i think it's worth sharing uh, you know a lot of people who play big venues like that they have a little rider i think it's worth sharing barry fry's rider which was a uh, uh, a parking space <laughs> <laughs> parking. down to earth down to earth <laughs> down to earth
2: couldn't give it to him
3: central london mate
2: <laughs> do you want some correspondence yep
3: I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Postbag.
2: You've got mail. Now, there's so much good correspondence we get. It's difficult to choose what doesn't make it, and I'm excited about reading out all of them. But sometimes they really tickle me, and I'm really excited about reading this out. This is from Dan Raywood. Hello, Quickly Kevin team. I'm a regular listener and a big fan of the podcast. However, I do feel... Then the cultural references there is an Arsenal bias, in particular the use of Highbury in an episode of Neighbours. As a Spurs fan, I feel it is worth mentioning the sad scenes depicted in Extenders' right-to-die storyline of Ethel Skinner. <laughs> Do you remember the right-to-die storyline? <laughs> Vaguely. Of was Dr Legg involved? I don't know, but Ethel was the best friend of uh, Doc Cotton, played by legendary actress Gretchen Franklin, and she, uh, there was a euthanasia storyline that I hadn't remembered. You know when you get an email you're like, so much of this is in my wheelhouse. (laughs) As a Spurs fan, I feel it's worth mentioning the sad scenes depicted in EastEnders' Right to Die storyline of Ethel Skinner. While these scenes were broadcast in September 2000, Ethel, who was using Martin Fowler's room to die, had to die underneath a Spurs scarf and a poster with the text Celebration Time on it. (laughs) Assuming that this is a picture from the 1999 League Cup final, Ethel's euthanasia took place under a picture of Alan Nielsen.
3: <laughs> uh, imagine that's
2: the last this thing you see. This raises the question, have any other soap characters died in sight of an image of a 90s
3: footballer? <laughs> imagine that's the last thing you see for eternity. Alan Is Nielsen.
2: That, yeah, it's Alan Nielsen celebrating winning the League Cup. I watched these a bit in the 90s, but not loads. But, like... Martin Fowler's bedroom wasn't like a stock set. It wasn't like the Vic, yeah. Where you go, well, we're kind of tied into the fact that there's this photo of Alan Nielsen on the wall because there has been for the last six months. Yeah, that would have been built specifically, I'd imagine. And controversially, Spurs.
0: Really, that should be a West Ham. It should be. It?
3: Yeah. Well, I don't know. And not every character in Eastenders can support West Ham. I mean, you got Alfie Moon and Dirty Den. You can't have everyone. It's just otherwise no. there'd be no one in the square on 3pm on a sad. <laughs> um, do you remember it, like it just got me thinking like that was quite a big scene in uh, EastEnders I remember when Ethel died but do you remember like Quantum Leap like, that, like that's a big scene Quantum Leap was all like he get injected into a personality to make a big decision about their lives Yeah. Quantum Leap just with 90s footballers that's the pitch <laughs> One guy going around and he's got big decisions to make as 90s people like Cantonada oh, Talk of the King. Yeah. Just again and again. So Alan le- Nielsen looking down at Ethel different... dying. What Alan Nielsen powerless. <laughs> <laughs> trapped like the witches rolled down, trapped behind the poster <laughs> for eternity. So what would happen in
2: Quantum Leap nineties football? He'd kind of get put into the body of um. The referee for England v B- Holland 1993, yeah, and then he'd have to make the correct decisions to make the right <laughs> things go right. Yeah, but then he'd find out that he'd kept Graham Taylor in the job, so Euro '96 was ruined. So it's, <laughs> it's like a nine- so actually the referee had done the right thing in the first place. Yeah, it's like a '90s football butterfly effect. Yeah, that's that's the problem, isn't it? The moment you think England are going to do well in the USA '94, wow. that would have destroyed uh, the 96. best summer of our lives. You say that, but.
0: 94 might have been the best summer of our lives
3: No, Venable- we wouldn't have won the world cup <laughs> <laughs> Tony Daly was playing in Rotterdam But no, be- <laughs> hang on Venables in 98 he gets the most out of gas if we win we beat Argentina why Venables in 98 because he's because cause, in- cause Taylor would have been there for 96 yeah. then he, Taylor goes uh, in he gets
2: sacked so they bring in Terry Venables yeah. and
3: that's he has a better team arguably in 98 yeah.
2: this is a free part of Quantum League
3: episodes <laughs> <laughs> I <actually> can agree
2: <laughs> anyway it leads to the current England manager being Sven-Goran Eriksson <laughs> right uh, do you want another one yeah this is quite a good bit of trivia hi guys I know you must get so much correspondence so I don't expect a shout out (laughs) well I tell you what mate Eddie O'Grady here's your shout out Um, however I thought you might find this interesting your recent podcast mentioned Rob Jones and his lack of a goal for Liverpool Rob was a fantastic player for my club crew but his inability in front of goal reminded me of another crew fullback Possibly the unluckiest footballer of all time. Eugene Gus Wilson was a pacey fullback for Crewe during the early 90s. His brother, uh, Euslid Wilson, uh, you may know him as Clive Wilson, Spurs and QPR. Gus never scored a league goal for Crewe, or did he? New Year's Day 1992, Gus runs onto a clearance, spanks the ball straight into the top corner. A stunning strike that confirmed a 4-0 away win for the railway men. One problem, the team on the receiving end of the belter was Aldershot. Several months later, they were expelled from the league and all their results were expunged. That exact thing happened to
0: me at youth football. <coughs> Did it? Yeah. What? So we had a team we played against called New Church, who were awful. They were basically the rejects of every other team. And they got hammered every single week, 10, 11, 12 nil, they would lose. And our manager one game at halftime, we were winning five or six nil was like, to show mercy, he switched the attack and the defense. So I ended up playing up front and I scored my only goal of my entire career and before the end of the season their team was dissolved and all of the records were stricken so my, my goal doesn't count it doesn't wow. register yeah. so you and Gus Wilson it's, t- I would say at least once a month I think about that really? <laughs> it still <laughs> haunts me yeah. do you think Gus Wilson still thinks about it? <laughs> I hope so Gus if you're out there get in touch mate
2: I had no idea that would lead to such an interesting uh, yeah
0: that's amazing
2: isn't that amazing? So how did you feel? At the time it was elation scoring that
0: goal and then by the end of the season, absolute heartbreak. It's not on the record books. And it was you remember when the pass back rule got introduced? Yeah. That's but my basically my goal was scored from a pass-back free kick that was laid off to me, and I, oh, and I hit I it, but it hit two defenders on the way in. Oh, so it was an own goal anyway. Well, no, because it it was going in. Oh, was it? The panel
2: would have given it to me, but I scuffed it so badly, but yeah, I'm still claiming it. Can I give you one more thing that's kind of a mad trivia email? Yes. Yeah. This is really interesting as well. This is from Sam Jones. Love the show. Just listened to your third pre-season episode. And the bit about the USA 90s penalty rule Uh, got me thinking about a rule made for the 1994 caribbean cup below is an example of when the rule was used at its finest so this is from a website called football facts right so barbados v grenada in the 1994 caribbean cup to make the tournament more interesting a local genius had thought up a few new rules one even group matches couldn't end in a draw if 90 minutes didn't bring a winner there'd be extra time Two, if that extra time each goal would count double uh, it looked harmless enough on paper but in practice it proved more interesting than anyone intended the final group game between Barbados and Grenada presented the following situation Barbados had to beat Grenada by two goals in order to reach the knockout stage any other result would see Grenada proceed already in the first half Barbados managed to 2-0 lead exactly what they needed then Grenada made it 2-1 there was seven minutes left to play Barbados were about to go out unless they scored and made it 3-1 <laughs> or the 2-2 <laughs> an equaliser would automatically result in extra time giving them 30 more minutes to score a single goal that would count for the two goals needed one Barbadan player was smart enough to realise this he ran towards his own goal and after exchanging a few passes with the clueless goalie shot the ball into the net 2 <laughs> all. <laughs> it took a few seconds to sink in but when Grenada realised what had happened they knew what to do they had to score an own goal as well to have extra time <laughs> With only five minutes remaining, the crowd witnessed suspected spectacle of Barbados now defending both goals. They managed to hold on. What? Defending both goals. Once extra time began, the Barbadians switched back to normal tactics and scored the decisive goal. The rules meant they won 4-2. A place in the final round was rightfully theirs.
3: Oh my god! <laughs> That's one of the best emails we've ever had. <laughs> what I'm a stupid
2: I'd rule! I'd love to see that footage so much. Isn't that so good? Because you're not
0: allowed. Also, you're not allowed to infringe in the opposing team's half during a kickoff. So what would happen is? Yeah, how did they not just score? Well, basically. At kickoff, it would be a leg race of like <laughs> defenders running back to the opposing team's goal to but defend.
2: But wouldn't you just be them. able to kick it up there?
3: <laughs> you would just use. you got the first kick's got to be forward. That's true. Back then, the buys you a little forward. bit Is of time. Is that right? No. Yeah, yeah it, it would have been be back then.
2: But you've still got time. To whack it up the pitch before a player can get there. Well, you've I don't know.
0: Le- you can you can clear the, that bit of the semicircle pretty quickly if you're charging in to stop the guy <laughs> punting it down the
2: field. Oh, I suppose what you can do, I was thinking you're going to have to get to the goal. You've only got to get to the ball. Yeah, and stop that that first punt. Do you know the thing about scoring towards your own goal is you've just got to get in the goalie's hands because he's allowed to handle. So it's like one of your strikers can use his hat. <laughs> yeah, nine yeah. times
3: out of ten you're going to do it. Yeah. This, any ability, This fe- This
2: feels like... A, I mean, I would watch this as a sport. Yeah, I would absolutely watch this. Defending both goals. <laughs> oh, so that's so good. Thank you, Sam Jones. Uh, thank you for all your correspondence. If you've got anything on Mad Rules, Strange Trivia, or um, the death of <laughs> Ethel Skinner, here is how to
3: get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at QuicklyKevin, and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com Right, here's a man who doesn't need any introduction, big star in the 90s and beyond. Welcome to Quickly Kevin, Gary Neville.
0: Andy Cole touches it in here for Cantona. Chance for Gary Neville
4: now! I don't believe this. It's his first ever goal.
3: Our guest this week is a legend of nineties football and beyond. He's a one club man who was first choice right back for Manchester United and England for more than a decade, winning eight Premier League titles, three FA Cups, two League Cups, two Champions League, 85 caps for his country, and of course the tournoi. Welcome to Quickly Kevin, <laughs> Gary Neville. How are you? I'm good.
1: Um,
2: much?
1: I do actually, because Actually, when people say he was the best player I ever played against they actually uh, say Romario and I also think of Roberto Carlos as well and he played yeah. in that tournament that amazing free gig yeah. if you remember yeah. uh, and I played against I'm sure I played against Romario and Ronaldo so Glenn used to play three at the back and I was one of the back three and the front two for Brazil were Romario and Ronaldo the yeah. first Ronaldo yeah. obviously and I um, always remember that game and thinking I'm sort of like giggling during the game and laughing and thinking you know, I always thought football was really serious I was quite a miserable <laughs> Bastard, really. When I played, <laughs> and these two sort of decent players up front, are sort of like having a little bit of a laugh and a giggle. And I just thought, I wish I could be like that, you know I me. Mean? Yeah. I, mean, I wish I could walk out on a football pitch and feel so free and feel so yeah. happy to be able to giggle and laugh. And mm-hmm. no, it was did you laugh ever thing. laugh on the football pitch? Very rarely. <laughs> I very rarely had anything to laugh about. I think there were moments where I relaxed a lot. Obviously, we're opposite Old Trafford here. Yeah. And, there were games where we were 3-4, 5 nil up with like 15 minutes to go and you really could just switch off almost and play and yeah. sort of like... Uh, the other team had gone, you know, they were done. Uh, and we would just be there, just passing it around, you relaxed, but never to the point where I thought it was funny. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> apart from the fact that uh, there, has, there is one time, yeah. so basically, the, 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 if the Nevilles can play for England, so can I chant, yeah. that started at Craven Cottage. So I just remember, and it was warming up before the game. And I, I was warmed up in my position. I was quite rigid, you know what I mean? I had to walk at right back in my position where I was going to receive the ball in the game and I basically always warmed up at right back. So I'd, I'd do my runs, do the little fitness coach bit and all that sort of stuff and then go over to right back to do my passing. And, and Phil would always come over with me and he would play obviously left back so he'd sort of stand in left back position as if he was coming forward and that craving, I've been to Craven Cottage. Yeah. yeah, it's quite yeah. small. Yeah, small and that little wooden stand over the far side—it's like an old ground. And to be fair, not like a Premier League ground really in 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 terms of what the modern one. Just like a group of like, I'd say probably mid thirties, you know, late thirties. <laughs> Me and Phil like we sort of checked ourselves. Looked all <laughs> like, taking the piss, though. I was starting and Scully heard it. He started singing along, Scully. <laughs> <laughs> It all started with a group of blokes at Fulham in the warm-up. If you never took of the there. Yeah. It's the first time I've ever heard that song. It made me it always makes me giggle.
3: Um, so we like to ask the same settling question of every guest, which is, can you tell us your shirt sponsors from the nineties? But you only had one, so it should be quite easy
1: to recall. Was it Vodafone? No. Shirt sponsors? Oh, you mean the club sponsor? Sharp. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, in the Champions League final year. Yeah. Sharp? Yeah. Was <laughs>
3: I didn't think that was going to be the revelation it's
1: going <laughs> <laughs> to Well, I'm, I'm, obviously, I'm aware that Sharp responds to United. I mean, it's an absolute. We used to go to. A, they used to have their factory or their warehouse in Oldham. We always used to go and stand there once a year, like the promotional thing, and basically have pictures in front of the tellies and so <laughs> Did you get anything free? I think we always used to get, like, something. Yeah um, Microwave or <laughs> you know, they, Yeah televisions and stuff like that Well yeah. we're staying in your hotel before, then? In oh, that, was, that
3: was noughties then Wow We're yeah. staying in your hotel And I noticed last night You had sharp TVs in the bar And I thought I wonder if that If he got those back in the <laughs> Yeah Little Christmas bonus I hear this one there Didn't I yeah. <laughs> anyway. So let's take you back to
2: the start We don't normally ask footballers this But it, it feels like Because you grew up With another footballer in your family when you played football in the garden with Phil, what were the games
1: you played? We didn't have a garden for the first 12 years. We had like a backyard, which was like Ooh. a shared garage complex. Yeah. So basically, it was terraced houses, little cobbled street, and then we had like, you all had a garage each, which was remote from the actual yeah. uh, from the house. And we used to use the, our garage door as the, uh, as the goals. And then if we went over to the park, we'd often just throw a, a jumper in the middle of the pitch. And if it was just me and Phil, yeah. We would literally kick the ball up in the air, and it was whoever could put the f- the foot on top of the ball under control and that was a goal. I mean, <laughs> it, it wouldn't bring the fans in you know at I all. Mean? <laughs> you know, it's like imagine Gary and Phil Neville sort of like playing one on one, like it? hardly Ronaldo and Messi. But actually, it was a really it was really aggressive because you can imagine if you, you're trying to run at each other to try and get your yeah. sort of uh, you know your foot on this ball on this top of this jumper, and. Obviously, if he, if, he, if he goes past me, if I go past him, you just bring each other down all the time. You never let each other pass, you see was that, You see yeah. and so, the, the, the worst, there was Is some- Is there ev- some
2: old footage of that? Yeah, it there
1: was, I know, there was some evidence uh, so before the Antonio Reyes game that, you know, basically we were just hacking people. <laughs> yeah. We started on each other. Um, no, it, that, that's the game we used to play. And then obviously, if you had a few of the sort of other mates came down, we'd do things like edits and volleys and one in goal, and then yeah. things like that, so.
3: Was there um, anyone else in your group? A was it you and Phil and then one other or was it
1: are you suggesting we didn't really have no. friends? <laughs>
3: what I'm interested in is like, you were obviously the two two of the best kids in the country and then like no, it didn't
1: work like the... no no because when you when you're at the age of 5 till 12 13 you, you don't really say oh he's really good he's going to play for United I mean I did join United at the age of 11 did you Um see? yeah my primary school teacher put me up for a trial um, and I went and it just I always think by flute. that was the one bit, of, that was the biggest bit of good fortune that I've ever had in my life was that moment, but in terms of me and Phil when we were younger, we had obviously friends at school, we always used to go to school early, play on the yard before school and then at lunchtime and then at the end, I can't really sort of remember, there was none of the lads that we were with now, yeah. we lived in Bury, they were all, so It was obviously over in Middleton and uh, Butty was over in Gorton, Giggsy was in Salford, they weren't you know, they weren't. the we, we yeah. first time we came across them was when we got to the United Centre of Excellence twelve thirteen and started playing against them in the town teams. So yeah. they scores to played for Oldham, Nicky played for Manchester Boys, Ben Thorn, they played for Salford Boys, we I played for Bury Boys and we all started playing against each other but then for with each other for United in the under fourteens. Did so, you
2: um so you were two years older you're two years older than Phil? Yeah. At
1: that age that
2: feels like yeah. a huge difference in kind yeah. of physique and standard
1: as well. Did he no, it, it wasn't though. I think it was good. It was better for probably Phil than me. But mm. uh, well, it was good for me because obviously I had someone to play football with. But for him, he was always having to play up. So mm-hmm. Phil played for Boundary Park under 16s at the age of 14 with me. And my dad yeah. always used to say this: just come ready, be prepared. You'll get. I mean, get... my brother used to get in, and he started to play, and he started to like him playing. He was always there. That's yeah. yeah, so how he started playing. That's how. That's how. it happens for for kids. Always come ready to play. And that's something that's like a mantra in like, You know what I mean? If you just come ready and you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you'll, you'll get a chance. But you didn't
3: feel quite competitive then. Like, you must have been really competitive yeah. with each other.
1: Yeah, yeah you're all, 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 I think all brothers are and sisters are yeah. and They're all competitive. We were, we were really competitive when we were younger. We were playing against each other. It didn't really follow through into United, even if we were playing for the same position and spotting the team. But we were when we were younger. We used to play cricket, obviously, as well.
2: Did you, um, <laughs> did you miss cricket when you started football?
1: Yeah. No, I were I, I, you banned from playing cricket Is yes, that... so what was I carried on playing when I was 16 17 18 so did Scholesy when we were apprentices at United so my, my if you go on the internet and uh, look at sort of me and Matthew Hayden yeah, you'll, see, well, that you'll see there's a partnership of 200 odd where we, I got 111 you got 135 and that was whilst I was at United and that publicity that went into the Manchester News, my youth team coach, Eric Harrison, came up to me and said, you know, you've know, you got to cut that out now, you can't play anymore, what happens if you get a sort of crack foot, you know what I mean, and that right. was in pre-season, so I would play cricket, and I was devastated when I stopped playing cricket, well, yeah, yeah, I was absolutely <coughs> devastated, because I, I loved it, I, I, I was I, I was reasonably good at it, and I loved it, I just, completely different, obviously sport, but I just, I love playing it. Now, oh,
2: now that you've finished, and you can be honest about it, did you ever secretly play any cricket during your football
1: career? Only 16 to 18 when they, when they didn't. You know didn't. I, I did, after that, no, 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 stopped. No, because I was trying to start traveling in the first team as well, yeah. and then you realise that so it was a bit silly to carry on playing even those few <laughs> matches I did. So when you signed for Man U, you, you, you were signed at 11. Yeah.
2: What was that experience like?
1: The big moment in my life, really. uh, If you think about sort of like, you know, moments that sort of change the direction of your life, that moment was the biggest moment. And without me knowing, my primary school teacher wrote a letter to Manchester United saying he thought I was worthy of a trial and put me forward. And you think about people having belief in you, and then obviously at the other end, someone's received that thought, okay, this is interesting. I'll actually write back to him and say, send him down. Yeah. You imagine how many letters have been written in, <laughs> you know, in time, the way they've been just dismissed or not. And what well, happens at the trial? Like... Honestly, it was at Littleton Road, which is just near Salford City's football ground now. And that's, that's why we took over Salford City in the end, because this, this sort of uh, passion we have for this area that was so yeah. good to us. We were there for 15 years, training with United in L- at Littleton Road and at the Cliff Training Ground. There was hundreds of kids, and they had little sort of seven-a-side games set up all over, and what you do, you just stay in one team, but then you switch over and play in different games. And what they had with them, they had different scouts on each pitch. Yeah. so let's say they were eight pitches of 7v7 or whatever it was. Yeah, you basically have each team would rotate, and what they'd have a different set of scouts on each pitch watching different players. And they must have had some type of system that if you came up on somebody's notepad, yeah, yeah. you know, what I mean? they would have said, like well, the player that stood out in this game was. Yeah You know Gary Neville Then next yeah. You gave me Rotate to a different pitch And the scout over there Saying no he wasn't very good And then <laughs> <laughs> Yeah he was the right one you know what I mean? <laughs> And then the next pitch Maybe I yeah. came up On somebody's notepad again, And that's the only way I can think They must yeah. have actually Did done you it. feel like You'd had a Did you go home Going I think I nailed that You just haven't You don't think that As a kid I think I'd done okay I thought I'd done okay But you actually don't know What anyone else has done Really, yes. than the ones you've played with and against, at that time. you not know. How, you know, you've not you've not seen every single player, and you're only concentrating on your own thing as a kid, aren't you? But I remember getting the the letter through, and I think I've still got the letter. Oh wow! I think I've still got the letter that came back saying, and I remember it. I mean, I remember where it was in the sideboard in the kitchen, when my mum and dad showed it to me. I remember it being there on the oh, corner. Wow. And just, just a moment in your life that you think you know it's like a big moment, and I remember that moment. and It was only a 12-month centre of excellence contract. They can get get rid of you at the end of each year. So it wasn't like, like, here you go, here's the first team player. There were hundreds of kids who went to the centre of excellence. So 11 till 12, I was there. Actually, Ron Atkinson was the manager when I first went to United. Really? And then in that first November, so I went in August, September. Had the trial probably in the summer. And that first year in the November, Ron Atkinson was sacked and Charlotte Ferguson came in did you have much any dealings with those two when you were in the centre back? never saw Atkinson at all yeah but then Sir Alex started to come down I would say when I was 12 13 and sort of start to take a keen eye and then at 14 he would be there on a Monday and Thursday evening and they put an incredible amount of time into the youth yeah. I, I mean it was it transformed to be honest with you, in, a, in a two three year period and were they were they scary like was it yeah there were big issues because obviously our parents, all the parents of the lads who were sort of up on the sort of, uh, balcony watching, you've got to remember Brian Kidd, uh, um, Nobby Styles the European Cup winners for United. Yeah. World Cup winner uh, Nobby Styles. So you've got to remember there was a lot of like, it was almost like a, they were in awe. Yeah. You know, my dad would explain to me who Nobby Styles what he meant to the club. Brian Kidd, what he did, he, you know, scoring in a, cha- uh, a European Cup final when he was 18. So it was scary. The scariest thing was Archie Knox, actually, because one, you couldn't tell a word he was saying. Because <laughs> it's like strong Glaswegian, you know, whatever it was, Scottish accent, Glasweed, and Aberdeen, wherever he came from. And I just couldn't work it out, and no one could. And you used to put these incredibly long passing sessions on from sort of one end of the pitch to the other and you'd be shouting from one end of the pitch and, and lads were just guessing. <laughs> and if you, you got it wrong, it, it wasn't just a case of, you know, try it again. It was, yeah. It was, it was pressure, yeah. Oh, so it was a pressure. Oh. Yeah, that's not a bad thing as a no. kid. You need to have a little bit of tension yeah. a little bit of pressure because that's how you sort of improve.
2: With that class of 92, so there's, you know, there's the, the, the six that on, the, on the wall there and then there's obviously there's the Ben Thornleys and there's you know a lot of people say Ben Thornley was actually the you know the greatest of all in Town wise was there anyone in the class of 92 and you don't need to name names Mm -hmm. that you thought was shit that actually made it as a professional footballer
1: (laughs) (laughs) I bet um, that's a question you've never been asked. If I exclude myself for <laughs> now. <laughs>
2: um, Anybody thought
1: no, he's not, not going to make it. Yeah. I, I can actually, I don't even need to be, I can name him. If you said to me at 12, 13, Scholesy Yeah. Would be one of the greatest players. I said, I, I, how, <laughs> how, <laughs> you know, he was so small, so slight. He didn't have great energy and, and stre- he had no strength. Yeah. You could knock him off the ball because he was really, really slight. Yeah, that's me. You couldn't really run very far. It <laughs> wasn't quick. He never beat yeah. you for pace. So you've got to imagine when you're a young kid at 12, 13, 14, you play against Nicky Butt, and Nicky Butt was an animal. You know, he'd run all over you. He'd power the strength. He'd kick yeah. you. He'd head you. He'd pass the ball. He'd run forward. And you thought, gee. You saw Ben Thorne beating players, quick, nimble, yeah, agile. Yeah, yeah. You saw sort of Bet coming in, and sort of the best striker of a ball you ever saw, whipping the crosses in, that ping that he had. So you saw qualities in every single player. I say, I exclude myself. If <laughs> 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 I was a defender, I was being pushed back into defense. Yeah. So it was a completely different thing. And then you look at Scholes and you just think, yeah, obviously he was tied on the ball when yeah. he got the ball. But you just thought, how can he, he can't cope. <laughs> Physically, he can't cope with everything <laughs> yeah. that's going on around him. He sort of didn't really get into the county team, didn't really play a lot of games. So in the first year, 1992, he'd even playing the youth team. Really? But all of a sudden, the year after, yeah. I think that was the point where I think he stopped I think that was the point where he stopped drinking beer <laughs> <laughs> and, and stopped and stopped eating pies on a Friday. And he tells the story himself, he was, he would he scolds, he was sort of you know, he just eat what he wanted. And then the transformation inside of two two or three years was unbelievable. So you just think about I mean, what I would say is the club saw him as a player though. Yes, yeah, so they've spotted, oh. they could see it. Brian Kidd adored him. Sir Alex said, if he doesn't become a football player, we can all pack in. And that was <laughs> when he was 18. But yeah. we have sort of been with him since he was 14 16, 17. You're always thinking, well, you know, for instance, our youth team, 92, it was Nicky in central midfield with Simon Davis. It was Ben Thorne, Keith Gillespie and Bex. Yeah. Four of those five. Scholes never got a look in. I don't think yeah. he was on the bench in the 92 final. I don't think he was on the bench. So people yeah. got not class 92. Yeah. Scholes in that 92 cut win wasn't on the pitch, wasn't in the bench. So that was to one to me was the biggest shot, And then you get to the end of my career and I say he's the best player that I ever played with. So if you think of that jump from being a 13, 14 year old when you first see him to this sort of like, you know, small kid with no strength, not great stamina, can't really run that fast to Becoming the best player you've ever played with, that is a sh- That's a big yeah. shame. But he was never in danger of getting kind of let go, was he? Do ever come no. back? No, no, we, I mean, I wasn't privy to those discussions yeah. anyway, but to be fair, the club in themselves yeah. saw obviously the saw the potential, the talent, yeah. so that's what clubs do. And Brian Kidd, I have to say, he, the one thing he had he was a nasty little scores that he could stick up for himself, yeah. he wouldn't back yeah. out of a tackle, even though he was. You know, well, that's waiting for his career as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, I remember him as actually a 16-year-old in the B team. He played. He played a couple of games at left back because he couldn't. It was too. It was too much for him in central midfield, so he put him at left back, thinking actually you have to get him out of the way. Because yeah. I mean, you know, we played on muddy pitches. Uh, we played against big lads. Strength and power really important. You remember when you play football, when you're younger. The big lads always used to just trample all over you. And Scholes is just you ended up getting shifted out to left back. Um, but yeah it just obviously the club themselves believed in him and knew he had growth knew he had obviously this incredible awareness but it's no good. It's no good being aware if the pitch is muddy and you've got two six foot two, six, six, six foot two. You're fifteen year olds against you. Yeah. No, awareness doesn't really count. The ball's stuck. It's who's the strongest who can get it out of that mud. And this little kid from Middleton couldn't get it out of the mud. So playing at left back. You know, there's a bit of grass over there.
3: Um, speaking of Sculzy, we wanted to ask you about. There's a clip on YouTube of you doing media training. I'm sure, you, I'm sure oh, you're aware. Yeah. I'm sure you're aware of it. Yeah. We're fascinated by this clip because,
1: like, we think you must have been the first generation to have media training. I don't it, think it, happened, it wouldn't have happened before you, right? It's something that now, when I look back, and we often say this, we were obviously taught football at United because that's what we're there to do. But actually, the other stuff around it was by far the most important. And this again, you talk about putting yourself, putting us in uncomfortable situations. We were doing interviews here in front of probably twenty of our teammates. Yeah, there's nothing worse than that. <laughs> You've got to remember as a well, kid. Watching that clip, are you making, is it a fake game that you're talking about? It's, it's basically, I think it's a game we've played in the previous week or two, or an imaginary game, yeah. The, yeah. The, and you've got this, I think, was it Steve Penck that was doing it? I don't was think. it Steve Penck? I think it was Steve Penk, who at the time it we used to love. Prankster, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, Prankster, brilliant morning show where he used to ring people up and sort of say the fake name. I didn't think Steve Penck was going to come up Did, in this interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> First time. <laughs> he's a legend, by the way. Yeah. In well, the, on the Manchester doing... radio
3: scene. <laughs> was it like, we need to get media training? Who's in the media? Steve
1: Steve Peng? yeah, <laughs> How does so that it happen? was like the guy from GMN. I, I don't know his name or Steve Peng, and they came in and they grilled us yeah. uh, in terms, but it was done in front of our teammates, which was the most pressurizing. Thing yeah, really. so they put us in uncomfortable situations. Say they used to send us over, say for instance, to, to load the mega store up on a Monday afternoon. Yeah, go over there and load the mega store up. And do you know something, if we didn't apply ourselves, s- stacking the shelves in the mega store. We'd get battered off the coaches and off the managers. Really? So, 16, 17, 18, every Monday we did work experience, but they gave us a placement in work experience that we didn't like. And it was almost a case of this is what it might be like if you don't show a good attitude, this is the consequence of not making it. Giggsy tells a story how he played to the first team on the Wednesday night and he was at college on the Thursday. And he just thought, I've played for the first team, I'm not going to turn up. And Eric Harrison dragging him in on the Friday morning and saying, basically, you get back to college and basically find him, wow. punished him. So the grounding of, yeah. you, you have to say, you know, you have to do the thing that you don't like, you have to clean the changing rooms, you have to... We did all those things that were... And media training was about putting us under pressure, making yeah. us feel comfortable speaking and obviously making us feel uncomfortable in front of our teammates. And they always did that, they pressurised us and stress tested us in different ways yeah. to make us they had this thing they all had this thing do you really think you're going to become a Manchester United player and they always built up this sort of to be a Manchester United player it's not just about a a bit of skill forget skill they all got skill every player in the Premier League has got some skill but to be a Manchester United player you have to be different you have to be able to you know if you like resist everything So this idea that you have to be the strongest character the most resilient character you have to be the toughest not just toughest as in terms of fighting toughest nothing to do with that toughest mentally yeah, to yeah. withstand what's going to come your way and it was always about that this Manchester United player I'd have crumbled And <laughs> 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 <Then> he did <laughs>
2: <laughs> luckily I was no good at football so yeah. it didn't come up yeah um, were the senior pros tough tough
1: on you as well they were tough yeah very tough when I first got into the first team 18, 19 started training with Peter Schmeichel I've said it quite often was brutal with me really I mean now I speak to him and yeah. he, we laugh about it and stuff he brutally was yeah I mean he didn't fancy me as a player that much I was the first one of the see Peter Schmichael was the was the goalkeeper and obviously that back four of Bruce Pallister Parker and Irwin mm-hmm. was legendary for three years so I was the first to break into that and he saw it as a risk he saw it as a uh, a challenge to the fact that we've been successful the club had been successful Powell Parker picked up an injury too and I started getting in at right back And obviously, as a young player, you you, do—you're not perfect. You make a couple of mistakes, and he just absolutely battered me in training daily about my defending, about my crossing. He used to do these crossing practice after the game, and he used to stand on the penalty spot and catch it and just say, "That shoots." You know what I mean? (laughs) And he regularly just did that, and he just basically—it was—it was was a form of just—he was actually just being really tough, horrible with me, really. Did that affect you? Yeah, it did affect me. Did affect me. But to be honest with you, you either have to come through it. And yeah. that's part of it, because imagine if you just, imagine if you crack when you go out on the pitch and the fans boo you away yeah. from home. Imagine if, you know, so all that, so Paul Ince was exactly the same, Roy Keane, Brian Robson, Sparky, Mark Hughes, if he didn't play the ball into his feet when he made a run. You know, the, the stare, the, 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 it was it was a really tough oh. group of players, they were yeah. obviously, all Bruce, here, I remember once at Leeds away, absolutely hammering me on the way in at half time. You get next. I'd gone forward and I'd left him exposed in the channel. I should have probably been back alongside him and sort of tucked in. Yeah. And I just remember these instances of players just really sort of being difficult with me or nasty. You'd yeah. say actually, but looking back now, I'm so happy I came through that sort of system of the sort of what would be real leaders and characters as I saw them. They were brilliant players, brilliant yeah. lads as well. Great. They were always helping us as well. It's wrong to say that they didn't just that. They were brilliant with us off the pitch, but they were tough to play with and tough to come through with because they wanted the highest standards. They were champions of the country yeah. and they'd create one of the best Manchester United teams that's ever lived that 1940. Yeah, It was tough, it was tough but we had to come through it or else you couldn't survive. Was there an element
3: of you would grow up a United fan like looking up to these guys and there's something you you dressing room yeah. you're like, you're my hero and you're being mean yeah. to me.
1: That, that particularly with Brian Robson and with Mark Hughes, not just necessarily, they weren't mean, they, were, they actually, to be fair, were brilliant with us mm. but you're right, if he shouted at you, it was your hero shouting yeah. at you. You know, Mark Hughes, Norman Whiteside, Brian Robson were the three players that I grew up idolising. I remember going to Brian Robson when I was, uh, I think, 17... And asking him about my first contract, my first professional contract, and no word of a lie, I couldn't get a word out. I just remember being so nervous, couldn't get my words out, shaking like a leaf. I mean, he made it easy for me because he sort of knew where I was coming from. You know, I got one word out, I think. <laughs> <But> money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> so he just, he, he actually helped me with my contract, yeah. he helped all the other lads. And then we always did that moving forward with the young lads. We always give them advice. and But they were brilliant with us, but there was always that moment where they pull you back in line, and yeah. the pull you back in line bit wasn't pleasant sometimes because it's never nice being told by someone that you, you absolutely idolise that you know it's it's not good so you make your debut torpedo moscow
5: yeah
2: we think you had one touch yeah I mean, there was, 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 was a throw in yeah
1: it wasn't <laughs> Very memorable
3: throwing goal, right there.
1: yeah i was good at throwings <laughs> <laughs> that was one thing i didn't get wrong i mean i was i was i was the best at throwings <laughs> um yeah, I, he put me on for three minutes. It was such a surprise that you know I was actually on the bench. It was such a surprise. I remember turning up to the Midland Hotel in the afternoon. It was like Midland Hotel in Manchester. It was one of the iconic hotels in Manchester. And just thinking, wow. And it was just a completely different experience. And he just stuck me on the pitch for two or three minutes. And like I said, I didn't touch it. Um, I, th- I had one throw in. And after the game, he, he hammered Gary Pallister for not going forward for the throwing because we needed to score. It was nil-nil. And I had a long throw. Oh, Gary, so it was an attacking throwing yeah attacking throwing and he said to Gary Palllton do you' don't watch the youth team you don't see how you know Neville's got a long throw and he, I'm thinking I'm there in the end they were a bit like that they were yeah. you know, the, the, the boss was like that he was confrontational at the time with them and he was really sort of like on top of them and they were saying they would they would answer back and it was a it was really sort of brilliant wow. I wish, I just you wish now when you look back I always remember the away game The two weeks later I wasn't on the bench but I traveled with them and we lost on penalties and the argument after that game between the players was unbelievable and the boss it was unbelievable really
2: so they'd give it back to him oh, they, but yeah
1: but he, he, he always won but yeah, you know, they would sort of answer back those types of players did that that was the nature of those players yeah. they, they'd always sort of like they would confront each other they would confront the manager but then they'd shake hands and they'd have a beer Yeah, that was it that, they always how, the, they always how much? The beer.
2: Would they give it back
1: to him? Like, they would. I mean, they'd give it back to him. But if they went too far, he would. He would go for them. I mean, I remember Schmeichel at Liverpool famously. Ins, I think away in Barcelona, gigsy away in Juventus. Big, big moments where I remember. You know, you go; they go back for him, but then he, he would, he would stamp on them. I mean, I, I don't mean literally. <laughs> you know I mean? Uh, we're gonna li- we'll lose that bit with literally. i don't <laughs> I'm edit that. Yeah. Out. <laughs> no, you know, he, he, he would stamp on them, and he just knew he, he, he control was obviously everything to him, yeah. But he also wanted these. Fa- yeah, you couldn't have the. You couldn't ask for these feisty characters on the pitch. You know, Keane, Ince, Bruce, Pallister, Schmeichel. Cantona, uh, Hughes, they were all, you know, Robson. Yeah. You couldn't then all of a sudden just say come into the dressing room and switch them off. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like a sort of you know switch you could just say oh no, God, now be nice. They had that into the dressing room with each other. Yeah. And then they carried it into the dressing room with him sometimes, and it, and he was like that. He wanted to, you know he was he was he wouldn't back down from it. So it was a, it was a, it, you wish you could look back. It'd be fascinating to look back if some of that footage existed. Yeah. Of them going at it in the dressing room, and we were witnessing this. And you just keep your head down. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, we knew exactly where to be. In the corner, out the way, not even in the eye line. (laughs) You got caught in the eye line. What are you looking at, Neville? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? You just just stayed out of the way. You lads stayed out of the way. But we were witnessing everything. Yeah. I remember going away to Liverpool uh, and the Schmeichel one and thinking, oh, my. God. and you saw yeah, you know, you've got this big sort of you know, trench jacket on because it was cold in the middle yeah. of the winter. and your neck's just sort of slipping down into the you know, <laughs> you're sort of sinking into your chair thinking you're you're, you're thinking this is it's mad it, 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 they were they were well they so, stood up they, they, were, they were they sometimes yeah you would your team go you know, like go towards each other. there was never a punch yeah. throw towards the manager or vice versa but they were going shouting. for each other yeah properly going for it um, and that happened quite a few times, and I remember away at Blackburn, when shearer scored two, and we lost two 0 I think. So he took us, he took us to, to either be in the squad, but quite yeah. often we were the player that didn't make it onto the bench. Yeah. So there'd always be two young lads that would travel with, and we would always do that. So we travelled regularly with the kit man, Norman Davies. We'd help him put the kit out. We'd go back to the hotel. We'd have the pre-match, and it was just to be across this experience of what it was to, you know, be in the first team. And he did it as part of our grounding all the time. And but the, but the things we witnessed were incredible. Yeah. And the, what it made us realise was that you had this idea of sort of your boy becoming a man. Yeah. You realised that you had to become a man quickly in that environment, or else you weren't going to survive. You were not going to survive in that environment. You could not play football in a team with these players unless you were absolutely, you know. So and that, that, that but that was the best thing, and that's why we lasted twenty years. Yeah. Because as, as the game got sort of more um, professional. As, <laughs> yes. No, as the game no, because the players started not to go out. I mean, no. The, did you ever go on their night? Because the obviously yeah, there was a big boozy. Did you go on a night out? The them? thing was, and this is something again. I understand. It's a lesson in the early days. and I remember. I think it was Steve Bruce and, and, and Peter organised a, 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 a couples' do. So everyone had to turn up, and I didn't turn up. I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel. Yeah. And the apps, they, they, they really got stuck into me the next day. Steve, Peter, Michael, Brucey. It's disrespectful. You didn't come out with your teammates, and they were—they were—it wasn't—it was they were shouting. Yeah, they were telling me it's disrespectful if your teammates are all going out. You come out, and that was my mantra then when we organised the Christmas dues or the parts or the team that you have to come. Yeah. even if you don't drink, even if you don't whatever, you must come. You have to be there as a team, and it was a, an ethos that we were being taught by people who were brilliant people, brilliant yeah. team players. They had a great team spirit, and we did used to go out with them. And then were they boozy nights out? Yeah. The lads, the lads drank then, it was normal, you know, we were the yeah. first group of players probably to come through who didn't drink after a Wednesday night game and after a Saturday game and then on a Sunday in the pub in the afternoon, that was the regular thing, Wednesday night after a game there's a few pints at the Amblerst. Saturday after the game it was back to Kells for a few pints, <laughs> Sunday afternoon it was at the pub over in South Manchester, that was it and then Monday and Tuesday you train and you play again Wednesday and Thursday, Friday you train and you play again Saturday and that was the cycle, it was normal if everybody's doing it and every club's doing it yeah why would you not no yeah they were all as pissed as each other <laughs> <laughs> no they were all they were all as, so the professionalism they were all as professional as each other yeah I genuinely believe from 96 to 99 when we weren't drinking after a Wednesday and after a Saturday we were we'd go out once maybe every three or four weeks we stole the marching professionalism so when you when you saw about Liverpool the Spice Boys yeah they were still drinking they still had lads in that dressing room we were doing the Wednesday Saturday Sunday we stopped. So yeah. you imagine, it's like, you drink alcohol, go for a run the next day, don't drink alcohol, go for a run the next day, the results are very different. Drink hampers physical performance just simply, just does. Yeah. I'm feeling that at the <laughs> moment. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: did Sir Alex lead there, could he see the advantage in not drinking? Because he's an old school manager,
1: really. Yeah. He was an old school manager and he, he he knew it was the norm, but also, when he come down from uh, Aberdeen, he did have that drinking culture in the dressing room and he had to get it out of the club, it was his view. And uh, Arsene Wenger coming in the late nineties changed Arsenal. Yeah, if you remember Arsenal had a the big drinking culture. You know, every every club did. It wasn't yeah. just Arsenal, Manchester United, but there were, you know there were famous examples within those dressing rooms of lads who liked to drink. And from that point of view, we changed. But what we had, this is what I always say: we actually lived through the last, the first three or four years of our career, we lived through the old school principles. Yeah. And that old school principle was tough. Yeah. Because you know it was you would basically say it as you see it. There's no holding back. There's no HR. There's no HR. you know something? Actually, the idea of coming through that into then the really professional world of sports science and the rest of it. Yeah. That became that became easy. Yeah. We actually lived through ten of the greatest leaders that Man- have ever played to Manchester United demanding from you every second of every day and even as the gaffer got a little bit the boss got a little bit sort of more sensitive as he got older we'd seen him sort of in the earlier days 92, 93, 94 when he was still at his yeah. most feisty so we lived through that bit where that chance transformation from Premier League yeah. to professionalism but we, got the old, we got the old school values which were good values but then we also had to modernise because obviously as more, more foreign players got introduced more professionalism different cultures different foods different sports science techniques I mean, we started off, I think, when we first got to the club, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day, you had to hold your stretch for a minute. Yeah. You had, you know, basically, you had to put ice on for 30 minutes. And in the end, it didn't go into contrast baths where you had hot and cold for, like, a minute at a time. Mm. So the transformation in techniques of sports science and medical and massage is just absolute... the, The shift in 15 years was enormous. And the shift now will never be as enormous again. Yeah, yeah. So there's a gradual each year improvement, adaptation. I'd never heard of glutes until 2007. <laughs> if someone said to me, 1993, let's do some glutes, I would have said, what are you yeah, going not. on about? No, I'm I, not I, allowed it's, to do that. I don't do drugs. Exactly. If someone said to me, core, oh, core's the most important thing. What do you mean, core's the most important thing? <laughs> core, what's core? Worst bit of an apple. I never, exactly. <laughs> N- Nonsense, all that. I mean, you know, how much can you lift?
4: <laughs> if you go in the gym
1: it's how much could you lift and if, if, it was, if it was running in pre-season it was how quick could you do the cross-country in? and yeah. then you know the, the 12 minute runs it was the old we, we lift through that old our warm yeah. our warm every day was 2,000 metres <laughs> you know 1,000 metres around the pitch twice wow so at one season, you, you, if you did that now you wouldn't do that now yeah. now they've sort of got you know they've got little bands haven't they that they all step into and they stretch the bands out and they're activating the glutes and things like that there's no activation of glutes <laughs> so Eric, Eric Harrison Nobby Styles just basically said get your boots on lads and run round that pitch twice as fast as you can <laughs> and you were warm trust me <laughs> you were, I never saw anybody not warm after that 2000 metres <laughs>
3: Before we move on from the older generation I wanted to ask about this clip of uh, you and Peter Schmeichel in the tunnel together many years later yeah. you're captain of United Schmeichel is I think captain of City and, it, and uh, just to talk through it Schmeichel comes up goes to say hello to you to shake your hand you're not interested I absolutely love that about you, Do you like, was that just the, the focusing on the game or was that a bit of the residual tension of your relationship with Schmeichel
1: no, I, to be fair my relationship with Schmeichel got good after the initial sort of couple of years that was what year was that 2001 was That's it? about it, yeah. yeah so you don't remember i came in 93 94 the first team 92 93 94 and he was tough for me there for that first few years but there was a moment around 96 97 i always remember it in the pub on one of the team days out and coming up to me and say i got it wrong on you so my relationship with him oh. was good and i always think of him well done. you know he was he was yeah. he was the best keeper i ever played with he's actually when people say about world class I played with very few world-class players that you would say would get in world teams. Now, Cristiano Ronaldo stands out. He would get into any team in the world at any time. Peter Schmeichel, I think, would get into any team in the world at any time. Yeah. He was the best keeper in the world. Yeah. So for me, uh, it wasn't a, a relationship thing. When you look back now, and you're sort of 43 like I am now, there's two things about that. One, he said that he left Manchester United at the age of sort of whatever he was. He was 35 only after that, and he said he was retiring basically to go abroad. Yeah. And at the time, like, when he came back, he played for Manchester City. You can't play for Manchester City. <laughs> you know, I'm i mean, a yeah. United fan, you can't play for Manchester City. I can't play for Leeds, and I can't play for Liverpool. That's just written in stone. You just yeah. do not play for those clubs, irrespective of whatever happens. If you're a Manchester United fan, you do not play for those clubs. He'd won the treble with United in 99, Said that he was retiring. He should have carried on playing for United for the next two or three years. Yeah. If that was the case, we struggled for a keeper between Peter. Well, yeah. yeah. We struggled for keeper between Peter and Edwin. Yeah. Um, and so that part of it was a little bit niggly about that. And to be fair, because at, at the time, just, you know, I hated everybody. We all did. <laughs> <laughs> no, they all. Everyone hated us. We all. Ate, we hated everybody. That was the way it was. You know, yeah. You, with Sir Alex, you on an island. We were a sort of siege mentality. If you're not on the island, do one. You know, what I mean? it was that type yeah. of thing. So but there was a bit of that. And then there's a bit of... Uh, the idea of shaking hands with people in a tunnel that you're going to play against. Shake hands at the end of the game when you've had the sort of... Yeah. The, you know, the, when you've had the battle, when you've had the game. The idea of shaking hands with each other in the tunnel. I know that might be an old-school pr- principle, and it's not like, you know, and I see lads do it now, I don't get hit up on it and sort of like, thinking that it's wrong and no lads. I, I, ju- I just think like, you know, I, I'm focusing before a game on my first pass, which wasn't always a good one, <laughs> my first touch, my first tackle, my opponent, how I'm gonna affect him in that first five minutes of the game. So my first chat, I can't let him go past me on my first one-on-one. It's impossible. Yeah. I can't, because if he goes past me the first time, he's gonna think he's gonna get confidence for the game. I'm also gonna run off him going forward to make him think he's got a run back. The first ball that goes up in the air, I'm gonna win that header. And all I'm thinking about before that game is that. Yeah. The idea of sort of anything just distracting me from sort of talking to a player for the opposition and some that would distract me. Yeah. So I ne- you remember you say it about Peter Schmeichel I didn't shake hands with my brother when I was walking out with him <laughs> as captain of Everton. Yeah. yeah, you know, and that's not because I don't like my brother. Sort of I, I do like him. He's all right.
5: <laughs> <laughs> like to establish that. <laughs>
2: so not- that's
3: exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did he did he he wouldn't have attempted to shake your hands. Phil.
1: he didn't know you wouldn't. Oh, no, he would I wouldn't and yeah. he would I wouldn't do it and she wouldn't do it and it's not a case of me I, I you know I love Peter in terms of you know I, I, it's nothing to do with him. And the beaters in that game. The beaters in that game. You think it was a bad game? I got, I had a terrible. That was one of my worst days in the United shirt. That I, that was the show On goal today. That
2: was that when you lost
1: three one. Yeah. Oh, was that that game? Yeah. That was the game where I basically. Uh, that was a brutal experience. That that was a, for, for, for United. I was first ever time at captain United, and I was subbed after forty seven minutes. <sighs> now being subbed after forty seven minutes is worse than being subbed at half time. <laughs> he made me come back out. <laughs> He said, go back out there. I'm going to publicly humiliate you. I'm not going to leave you in the tunnel. I'm not going to leave you in the dressing room at half time and let you get away with it. And I always remember at the end of that game, I always remember at the end of that game, Rude Van Nistelrooy had swapped shirts with a City player. A City player had come up to him and swap shirts. And he said, you do not give away one of those shirts. They're my shirts. They're this club shirts. They're not your shirts. You're just wearing them temporarily. You do not give they That's not your possession to give away. And he stopped us swapping shirts. In domestic games, I think he said after that game, I should let the fans in here. I should let the fans come near and speak to you. So he quite often would say things. You think now about that as a tactic? Yeah. It wouldn't work now. It wouldn't work with the manager now in 2018. Yeah, you know, I should let the fans come in and speak to you the players. Just wouldn't react to it. They wouldn't yeah. respond to it. Well, we did. We, we. I remember that night going home to my house in Bolton. And I, I didn't drink often after a game. We had a game on the Wednesday against Bayer Leverkusen, I remember, but I remember just drinking on my own, um, thinking I just need to forget about what's happened yeah. today. We lost in the derby, i have been subbed after 47 minutes, and the answer was definitely Peroni. <laughs> <laughs> a right back in Syria, I
3: <laughs> <laughs> was there.
1: Ferguson's replacement for me <laughs> Peroni.
4: <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Hotels.com.